Hello and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast, where the Rethink Energy team talk about technology behind this week's energy news. I'm editor Peter White, and we've got with us a full complement of analysts. We've got Andres, Bogdan, and Connor. Hello. Hello. And our product manager as well, Simon Thompson. Hello, hi. Remember, all discussion that we talk about today is built around the stories that are published on our website at www.rethinkresearch.biz. You click on energy and there you are in the news section and it's free. Uh, it's free, it really works. It's an advert for the paid services which you find in the forecast and data section later on. Now, elsewhere on the website, on that tab. On this week's podcast, we're going to talk about a deal between Ford and China's CATL uh, over battery technology and wonder whether this might be a way around the Inflation Reduction Act. We're going to look at the $8.6 billion which Portugal is planning to put into the wind uh, energy market and by extension into some of that going into making hydrogen. And we're going to ask the question of whether or not China really has something to protect in intellectual property terms in the solar market. And finally, Simon will quiz us on one or two of the short items we've published on the energy transition. But first, we're going to go over to Connor and we're going to ask, um, what do we know about that deal between Ford and CATL? So Ford has committed $3.5 billion towards putting an LFP battery plant in Michigan for 2026. And in the meantime, up until then, it will be buying batteries from CATL directly to offer a lower range option of its Mark E and F-150 Mustang, F-150 okay. Lightning. It's two main products, Sorry. the Mac E and the F-150 Lightning. Yeah, it's two main EV top sellers. Exactly, yes. So they're going to be purchasing LFP batteries from CATL until 2026 when this factory is up and running. And then once this factory is up and running, Ford will be licensing the LFP manufacturing technology from CATL to be able to run right. the factory. So, so we're assuming a lot in this story. We're assuming this is the Quinlan battery. We're assuming this is um, uh, LFP and perhaps will go on to uh, be uh, LMFP. And that, that the whole market, the car market, EV market, could shift to LFP over time. Is that fair, Connor? The main thing that I think this overall decision from Ford says is that either it is comfortable using IP from Chinese companies and still qualifying for the IRA subsidies, or it's saying that it doesn't care about that and that the shift to LFP is worth it on its own. It's going to make them so much cheaper. I mean, we were sort of trying to work out how much cheaper, and we were kind of uh, rule of thumb suggesting 20%, but I think it may be a lot, lot cheaper than that. And, and the one thing you were pointing out was, if you want to set up a supply chain in LFP, you can do it overnight. No, nothing there is, is is rare. If you want to set up a supply chain in MNC, in MC battery, that's a more difficult thing and still qualify for the uh, IRA subsidies. So it's, it, it's speed to market as well. By the way, this deal was cut in June originally. Um, they had a deal in June. And then the Inflation Reduction Act hit in August, and suddenly it was up in the air, and CATL were going to start a factory in America, and suddenly they said, no, no, we're not sure what we're doing now. So this is the resolution of that. This is, we don't really know, do we know who owns this battery? Is it going to be Ford 100% owns this battery factory? Or uh, okay. It hasn't said, right. no. 
But we can make the assumption, based on the terms of the IRA, that it cannot be majority-owned by entities of concern, which is usually read as Chinese companies. So CATL will have a minority stake in this factory, and or it will purely be licensing its yeah, IP. I and then Ford will and right, be putting forward the It cost. can't use its existing supply chain. It can't take uh, uh, stuff that's processed in China and no. bring it in and still get IRE sub subsidies. But as we say, maybe it's not about IRE subsidies. That's one of the better things to LFP in that you have existing supply chains you can cannibalize yeah. off of. So the supply chain for organophosphate fertilizers and that sort of thing uses phosphate rock, which is what you use to get the phosphate for an LFP battery. Iron is bloody everywhere and basically every continent has a steel industry that's struggling against imports so that gives another route for iron to be so, supplied i from. mean this could happen overnight this could actually if, if if this i mean we will look into it further but if this is not gonna expect the ira subsidies at all they're just saying no we're gonna have a much cheaper battery than everyone else so so you know then then that gives the whole EV industry in America, a lead. You know, you've got you've got to copy this. You've got to come down this route. Whether or not they can also partner with CATL will be another issue because CATL is is ramping up factories all over the world massively, a huge rate, and it's so far ahead on LFP that it's it's ridiculous. Nobody else can keep up with with it, and the R and D function that it's bringing to bear across multiple battery chains is huge. It, maybe can, they can. Maybe they can all, all partner with them. Go on, Simon. Yeah, can you just tell me what the difference is between LFP batteries and, and NMC? Are, are NMC better quality? NMC are higher energy density, but they use nickel, manganese, and cobalt. Nickel and cobalt are charitably a bit of a pain in the bollocks to source. Okay. Whereas LFP is less energy dense, but the main constituent components of the cathode material are more abundant in iron and phosphate. Both of them use lithium and graphite as the cathode and the anode material. And so the main effect of shifting to an LFP supply chain will be an increased demand for lithium and for graphite, but a reduced demand for nickel and okay. for cobalt. And manganese, you know, but we, we kind of... Yes, but it's much lower cost and the shift towards LFP and the development cycle of LFP may mean a shift from LFP towards LMFP, restoring it, it, the manganese numbers. An LFP battery is about 60% as energy dense as, um, as an NMC uh, 811 battery. And that can lead to the range uh, issue on, on uh, EVs. But at the same time, there's, a, there's packaging technology that CATL brings to bear that, gets, that, that does a pretty good job of making this dense. And if you do add manganese to this effectively uh, to create LMFP, you get another maybe 20%. Uh, more energy density, and you're getting closer and closer to NMC performance. Um, without any issues yeah, without, with the supply yeah. chain. I mean, I think this whole issue of the IRA saying you've got to have a new American-only supply chain, it's got to come through our free trade partners, means that, that there's no supply chain ready-made out there for uh, anything that wants the IRA subsidies. And so people are saying, well, you know... We, if we can make a supply chain quickly because the the materials are easier to find and easier to source then we're going to have a head start i, I think it's a great deal for um for ford i think we're going to see more of this i think we're going to see the engineering effort coming out of china being invaluable 
and that nobody is going to cut them out of the loop. But we don't know that yet. You know, someone could uh, call forward up tomorrow and say, you can't use this. Yeah, that's a pretty massive unknown here. We're very much making the assumption that Ford has done its homework because they will have put a team of lawyers on the IRA and said, what can we get away with while still complying yeah, probably, with these terms? Because it's a large enough the subsidy. The IRS and the Commerce Department as well and say, uh, this is our understanding, are we right? You know, and, and they may only be halfway through that. But um, we're going to talk to them uh, this week anyway. So we'll, we'll get, we'll, hopefully we'll have a bit more uh, detail. But this could accelerate, this could single-handedly accelerate the demise of NMC battery in America. Uh, that's an interesting thought. Um, if, if they get away with it and everyone follows suit. Uh, I mean, Tesla, Tesla has um, NFP batteries from CATL for all the uh, cars in its Shanghai factory, but it doesn't use any in, in the United States. It's interesting where, because the shift from, well, the expectation prior to this deal was that the US would be the slowest to shift to LFP because of the higher range requirements from people having to drive across three states for a road trip once every couple of years. Yeah. And that preference towards long mileage vehicles effectively discounted LFP from a lot of discussions when it came to the preferred battery of choice because Americans largely have excessive disposable income to spend on very large excessive vehicles, which bodes well for higher energy density batteries that just provide more range to an excessive degree. Yeah, well, that, now, that may be changing. You get to a recession, exactly. you might you start getting more uh, compacts being sold in the American market. You, you start making them more attractive financially. And anyway, <clears throat> Joe Biden's put, um, as, as promised, 500,000 uh, charge points um, over the next um, five or six years. So once that starts to, to hit, then people, range anxiety is going to evaporate really quickly. I agree. Something else that happened yesterday was Tesla's... Uh, made an agreement with the U.S. government to open its charging networks to other EV users. Hooray! So <laughs> the walled garden has fallen. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I imagine know. they got some nice, uh, <laughs> some nice benefits out of it. I mean, but... Steve Jobs spent his life uh, dealing with proprietary things, and uh, Apple therefore has lots of proprietary plugs and things. But mm. I don't think Elon Musk is going to take a leaf out of his book. I think, I think you know. He, he genuinely thought, well, we've got a better charging infrastructure and we've done it our way and why should I change? And now he's seeing the writing on the wall and lots of government money coming in. He's going, yeah, I can be flexible. I think he's more convincible than Jobs. I think it's he knows the value of government money and how, <laughs> how useful it can be to him. Yep. Also, like, expanding the charging network to other users isn't ever going to be a bad thing. It gives you an excuse. Yeah, exactly. You make more money and you get more money to extend the service further. The whole thing about a charging network is until you get enough people using it quickly enough, you don't make money. And mm -hmm. and, and so therefore, when you put invest in a charging network originally, three, four, five years, you're just not making any money. You're making a loss on, on every single installation and getting closer and closer to profits on some of them. So if you open it up to a wider wider uh, customer base it just makes so much sense I, mean, I know that there were already people driving around with adapters that could um that, that were i'm not sure if they were tesla approved that you could plug into a tesla and charge another car anyway uh, i don't know whether they could uh, but anyway it's good news that tesla's embraced it that's really good we'll keep a, an eye on this story and then we'll uh move on uh bogdan uh, 
I mean, Portugal has not been in the news in energy terms recently, uh, even though EDP is very active. 8.6 billion it's planning to put into wind. Talk, talk, talk us through that. Yeah, well, the piece of news was that Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners is investing $8.6 billion to oh, build... Oh, it's not government up. money, it's Co- Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners. Yes. Okay. Yes, um, they're investing $8.6 billion in building two gigawatts of offshore wind in, 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 in Portugal. That was the piece of news. Uh, but what I really want to highlight with the article was uh, um, a bit of a trend that we've been on top of for a while now, um, which is really wind energy scaling up in Europe, overtaking the energy demands of of the country of the respective country and then linking that to to a hydrogen export um, industry, which will prove to be very fruitful for whoever um, invests early on into the necessary technology to to produce electricity and then produce the, um, the hydrogen. Portugal is, again, one of those countries that already has a hydrogen national strategy in place, um, and they plan to use green hydrogen in, in, in their national uh, gas network to to create a um, a vehicle supply network to uh, use it in industrial applications like refining and chemistry and uh, and uh, steel manufacturing as well as uh, building plants capable of manufacturing uh, synthetic fuels and then um, also converting back using it as, as electricity um, on the grid so, when they have access. So a, a lot of their resource on wind is, is in the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, it's just south of the Bay of Biscay, which Spain and France have access to, mm-hmm. but it's, it's roughly similar conditions. So you're looking at um, 10 or 11 miles, you know, uh, meters per second or, or, or something in, in um, you've written 11 miles per hour. But I mean, I, I believe that um, you, it, the high wind speeds anyway. Yeah. But are they going to be floating? Because uh, so, they, they, they've got a, a history of uh, some of the early experiments in floating wind were off the coast of Portugal, or are they going to be fixed bed, or are they going to be both? Uh, we don't know such details. Uh, we don't know. I don't know at the top of my head what the ocean depth is just of the coast, or but how it, far. It definitely has a, a, a continental uh, shelf um, mm. for some distance. But the, yeah. then, but the Atlantic, you, you know, it, it suddenly falls away. So I don't know how far. I mean, it, it, maybe twenty kilometers offshore, you can get away with fixed bed. But right. any further, I think you you're into a thousand meters again. I think it's. Um, I think that's how it goes. And also, we're starting to see things move. We're starting to see things in Japan and off the coast of um, of California, and we're starting to see contracts being placed for floating wind. So, so it's, mm. it's very possible that um, a lot of this will end up as uh, as floating wind in time. I mean, it's just an aside, but I think that increases the um, scope for Portugal to uh, have more wind rather than less. Yep. No, for sure, but we don't know such details at the, at the moment. Okay, okay. We, we, um, we do get quite excited about um, Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners. They're, they are a kind of grade-A investor, and they, uh, they crop up all over the place, and they come up with... And they're not frightened of very big projects. Um, so uh, obviously we keep an eye on them. Let's move along. And the final story we were going to talk about uh, is from Andres. And that's all about, we, we wrote a piece saying China's planning to uh, block the um, export of um, of some of its 
technology? Quite a few things, including uh, photovoltaic wafer production. Okay. And, you know, we, we assume that if they if they're restricting exports on such things, that they must actually have some technology to themselves. And I also, you know, that they also have most of the solar industry. They have all of the very, very large production lines and all of the largest R&D budgets from corporations, not necessarily so much in universities, although they're probably competitive there as well. So, you know, I would assume that they have something. And, and uh, you know, two weeks ago when we first wrote about this happening, we didn't really answer the question of what exactly are they able to restrict in, in any particular detail. Uh, and this week I, I saw some discussion on the Chinese internet um, talking about some of the things that um, the Chinese might have to themselves that they might be restricting. Um, there was quite an interesting article about Tongwei's N-type passivated contact, contact cell, and it's actually called the Tongwei cell, so the TNC is its acronym. And, and, you know, they have some proprietary form of plasma-enhanced chemical vapor deposition to prepare the passivation layer, and it's got high efficiency. So that does sound quite impressive. Um, it does sound like they have some particular techniques, like you would expect from a company that has uh, that's working towards 100 gigawatts of, of production capacity. You'd, you'd expect they have some particular knowledge as well. Uh, and as I was writing about this, I found that this uh, TNC cell type was first announced back in November, which is actually the same time that Longi announced its HPBC cell technology, um, uh, which I wrote about at the time. But now, so so I really wanted to write an article saying, yes, here's the special Chinese technology that they're restricting, because that's that's the interesting story. But my heart sort of sank a little when I started reading about something called super multi bus bar technology, because bus bars um, have been increasing for ages. They used to be three, then there were five, then there were seven, then there are nine. So presumably super multi bus bar is 11 or more than 11 or something. And you know, my point is, these are all incremental changes. And I also read something about, wow, this Tongwei technology, only it only loses 0.3% uh, efficiency per degree of temperature increase. But I thought that the industry standard was already 0.28. So it's, you know, so, so the conclusion is there are some special Chinese methods, probably, um, but actually, uh, to my disappointment, I, I now definitely think more, more than I did before writing this, that uh, sadly, the, the truth is a bit more prosaic. And the, the point, the main purpose of this restriction is, uh, like I think we said two weeks ago, it is just to delay the um, creation of production lines. It's more about just machinery, having the machinery on hand. They're just trying to delay the um, creation of foreign production lines by a few years. Yeah, if you're, going, the... if you're going to war with someone, you don't enter a deal to sell them guns, um, and, yeah. and and this is this is all this this is about really that that um, you've got the the vast volume of machines which make wafers which make um, cells in in China, and if you don't export those devices, whether you export the technology and the precise know-how or not the volumes are going to take ages to ramp up elsewhere. You're putting an obstacle in the path of anyone who wants to compete with your solar industry. I think it's perfectly normal, um, you know, ge geopolitical economic behavior. Uh, and I, I, I don't, and I think, yeah, yeah, we can, we can say they may have um, special techniques. They will, they'll have processes, which, um, yeah. which they've refined. Um, I, was, I was when I was talking to you about the story, 
uh, I was put in mind of um, when Qualcomm and, uh, and uh, um, Broadcom went into a legal action over uh, mobile chips. And everyone said, but Qualcomm owns all the patents. Broadcom barely has any patents. And when it thing came to court, it was pretty obvious that Broadcom had process patents of how to make chips in a certain way. And that, that they, they won the Qualcomm um, so easily. Uh, and, and a number of lawyers were debarred from it uh, as, a, as, a, as, as an outcome from it because they tried to withhold uh, evidence from the court. Um, processes are, are licensable. Processes involve patents, and they also involve secrets. We found out how to do this. You know, if you want to find out how to do it, build, build a million of them. Uh, and, and so rights law will, will, go, will, will continue operating, whether it's in China or outside of China. And the companies inside China are, are, are keen not to give weaponry to the West to steal their solar industry. If anything, my, my favourite part of this article is actually just the graph of all the different um, solar cell types. It's, it's, especially since I spent some time annotating it in English, where it was only in Chinese, but not that uh, well, I can read Chinese. So, so anyone who goes to to the, the website and looks at that, you must click on the uh, on the on the <laughs> diagram because it expands, so you can actually read it. Um, so, yeah, I, I do have a bit of a question because, uh, but it's a pleasant coincidence that um, you know I write write about that and I sort of don't find anything. But apparently, uh, with our first article um, that we talked about today. Cattle does have some some uh, technological advantage. Is that the case? Does China have a technological lead in batteries already? Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Uh, and I suppose Mostly that's within the realm of LFP. So CATL and BYD and the other Chinese battery manufacturers that make up a significant portion of battery manufacturing have an even greater lead in in LFP manufacturing and LMFP patents and. That side of things is heavily, heavily Chinese. Even, Not even the other. Agency. So the Quinlin um, packaging technology uh, is is this kind of flat pack, um, a package of a um, of a battery about the size of a laptop, uh, prismatic design, completely different from Tesla's hexagonal continuation of previous designs, and it's managed to get about thirteen percent ahead of where Tesla is in terms of. Um, output if you use NMC um, prismatic batteries. Um, Tesla is, uh, in its battery day a couple of years ago, showed that it's streets ahead of everybody else in Japan and South Korea, and they are leading it. They're, le they're the leading edge, and they're dragging those industries forwards. And CAT for CATL to be getting a higher energy density before the move to, um, to, to solid state uh, than Tesla is a remarkable achievement. Um, and then retrofitting it to LFP uh, it just gives you a better outcome for LFP. It's just, and it is just a packaging technology. When we go back to chips, you know, packaging was all the rage. After you've, um, you've condensed the, uh, the chip design down to um, sort of nine nanometers, it's all about packaging from there, there on in. And, um, and we see the same kind of wars go on east and west in chip design, whether it's for mobile, whether it's for anything, whether it's for cars. Yeah, and this is just a repeat of that. Um, but certainly they do have a substantial lead. And again, volumes. I mean, CATL is increasing its volumes at a colossal rate. Um, people used to say LG or, or, or some other company was the largest battery maker in the world. They don't anymore. It's CATL is by a street. 
Um, pa- Panasonic. Panasonic, yeah, Panasonic. Hmm. Panasonic was the first out of the blocks to make the 4680 battery for Tesla, um, to make a version of it. Um, but they're making them in Japan for export to America. Oh, hmm. right. That doesn't qualify for the uh, inflation reduction. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, so they've got to rethink that as well, and they've got to build a factory in America. So all, all of these things are thrown up in the air by the Inflation Reduction Act. But, yes, we are at the stage where in battery, CATL is... Uh, right at the front. The other thing that I was thinking of with regards to the intellectual property ban as to why they haven't banned the export of LFP uh, from China toward the US is that in a way it allows China to maintain its technological lead. Now they might, they so, might ban factories, they might ban the export of the technology to make it, um, but they're not going to ban LFP per se. They want to export it all over the world. It's what makes them rich. I agree, yeah. And that's exactly why they're allowing the licensing of LFP as opposed to this ban on solar technology, which is effectively, as we kind of point out, a tactic to delay the rollout of that sort of stuff elsewhere, which increases reliance on imports. It hasn't done that for LFP specifically because it can still maintain the dominance through IP licensing. It has recognized that banning the export of LFP there are alternatives, and there are alternatives that they don't have control over. Right, but if you if you look look at the actual industry, two industries we're looking at, solar and cars, the larger of the two are cars, and the one that China does not control is cars. So this is you know this is an attack on controlling the markets, overtaking Germany, America, um, and Japan as leader in and Korea in the leader in the car market. So therefore, you allow it, export. Um, whereas solar panels, they already own that market, so they want to prevent it leaking out. So there's different mm. different strategies for for different positions. Just, yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. If it was the American Commerce Department, um, their behaviour would not be sensible. They wouldn't be rational in that way. They wouldn't be able to pick and choose between the technologies. They'd say, no, everything is banned, <laughs> and just because some small companies ask me to. So. You know, uh, uh, China, again, when you have centralised control through the government, it's not always nice to live in that state, but it's all, you always get things done and you always get the things done and you can pick and choose. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's what you're up against when you're dealing with China. You have to understand if you want to beat China, you've got to be able to pick and choose as well. Simon, um, what have you got for us from the rest of the issue? Well, yeah, lots of uh, uh, worth noting, lots of items worth noting. One of the things I was interested in was um, a new chemical process for uh, recycling wind turbine blades. Uh, Because uh, critics of uh, renewables always say that wind turbine blades, wind turbines are bad for the environment. They kill birds. They uh, cause... Um, uh, uh, landfill, but this it's a um, who was who is, is this you, Bogdan, who wrote this? Yes, I, I made a note of that. It was basically Vestas. Hmm. Um, they um, conducted a, a research study with a few partner companies, um, whose names escape my mind, but they're in it's the Olin uh, and Stenner Recycling, system. yes. Yeah, so basically they they conducted a research study and they um, just first came came out and and, and said um, I think a few days ago last week 
that uh, basically the result of the study um, is that they, they figured out a way to basically recycle every single turbine blade that's operating right now and is being manufactured right now, which is which is great news from a sustainability point of view. About, about two hmm. years ago, um, Vestas and uh, and Siemens Gamisa were, were plagued by these uh, images of of um, big blades being put into landfill sites. And they thought, bad, we have to come up with recycling. It was about the time that the battery recycling market had started to address how to completely automate the, the, the process of recycling lithium-ion from, from batteries. And that, so they, they've just gone out to the to local suppliers and said, you know, if you can work out the chemistry to break down epoxy-based turbine blades, then we'll reward you by adopting it. Um, and so that you know that they are very it's a tight it's a tight community uh, in in the Nordics and they um, and they've obviously found someone who's specialised in it and, and come up with a solution. I mean, how also, that is, you know, whether it's ninety seven percent of uh, of the blade is is recycled or whether it's eighty five percent or seventy five percent is another. You know, we, we we'll find out when the service is finally launched but at the moment it's just a trial successful trial just to change the subject slightly i also found something worth noting and it was about concentrated solar power csp um and we we haven't haven't read anything about csp for for quite a while not since our forecast and that must have been about was that last year our csp forecast a year before <laughs> a year before even concentrated solar power made inroads since we we wrote our report uh, which was uh, um has it expanded are there any new sites in the world or is there any new technology breakthroughs i think the global installed capacity went up by about 200 megawatts to it's still slightly less than seven gigawatts worldwide but china now has four gigawatts of projects underway and mm -hmm. you're asking that because uh, of our little note by both me and, and Peter this week about Vast Solar, um, which is formed a $600 million business combination with Nabors Energy Transition. Um, now, you look at the technology of CSP, you can basically divide it into three. The, well, I mean, that's a bit simplistic, but there's the molten salt, which is generation two, which the Chinese are doing. And that's worth doing in China. Um, it's worth doing in Chile. Um, but maybe you can do a little bit better, get up to a higher temperature than 560 degrees, and then you get a bit more efficiency in the turbine. Um, so liquid sodium is one heat transfer fluid that can handle a higher temperature than molten salt can. And liquid sodium, I think Vassar is the only company that uses that. Um, so that's why I find them interesting. And they are just now entering, uh, crossing the threshold into developing a bunch of projects and, and getting a whole load of new funding. So. Um, and then beyond that, you have Heliogen. But Heliogen's technology is um, even more sort of advanced high tech. So it's it's a bit more ambitious, uh, to put it politely. And they have big partnerships as well. Um, so I think they will come to something eventually. But for now, it's Vast Solar, which is the mover and the shaker in the Western world. Um, right. But they still use uh, molten salt for thermal storage. They use sodium in the heat transfer. Yeah, that makes sense. But they still use... At the moment, in the installations they've had really? so yeah. far, um, you know they still use molten salt to store it long term. Um, but that's that's just the uh, they've got a, mm. a reference installation in Australia, so that's that's that doesn't mean you know, that was built in 2018. They, they may well have uh, 
I may have got it wrong then, uh, thinking that they have higher temperature turbine use in that case. But from what I remember, the, the liquid sodium still has uh, several other advantages over molten salt. Uh, it, it, it probably does transfer at a higher, a higher temperature, but the molten salt can't yeah, keep exactly. it at any and, higher. So if, you, if you're exporting it straight away, may, maybe you can. But uh, uh, that's a small item. You can, you can change molten salt out for something else. Uh, that maintains a higher temperature, uh, project by project. I, and CSP can only work in places of high solar irradiation. Is that correct? Can it... Yeah, because you need to reach the high temperature. So um, it, it's much more dependent on having good um, conditions than photovoltaics are. Like photovoltaics, you can use it in Siberia so that you don't have to ship out diesel. But with CSP, it just doesn't work there. Um, so the mm. best places for CSP are, are really quite specifically um, Chile, southern USA, uh, northwestern Australia. And that makes it very interesting as, as the energy storage part for um, a hydrogen complex or remote mining or uh, microgrids. I did see a, a, a news report about a planned project in Thailand, which is on the low end of viability in terms of irradiation. But I think that's just the Thai, Thailand Thailand's government having rather odd policies, um, so probably. Not. <laughs> I think people get stuck in a time warp sometimes. You know, CSP seven or eight years ago was a very popular, exciting area of development, and you know, m most of the most of the companies chasing it have died, uh, and all they've you know gone through a revolution like Vast. But um, but yeah, it's it it. it, it some countries still have this um, avowed intent to, uh, to to embrace the technology. I still think it. Sorry. Okay. Any any other Simon? Uh, well, uh, there's one other, the solar one, and it's about the thickness of a wafer from um, made by a company called Gansu Jingang Solar. That's twenty five percent thinner than it was a year ago. I I find. You know, just a little um, uh, achievements like that. And trees, does it would would that make a significance in in output in years to come? I I think the main thing is just dodging a bit of the polysilicon price. I think if you, I, I'm not completely sure if reducing oh, the, the wafer thickness by a third means you reduce the polysilicon consumption by a third, because perhaps when you make it thinner, okay. you end up with more offcuts, but you would at least be reducing consumption by a sixth. And it was very expensive, so that's a nice uh, thing to do. And also heterojunction in general just has the inherent potential to be thinner. Uh, so you can just make it a bit, well, it's not really a significant source of weight in a module anyway, but... Uh, um, Gansu and it's just as efficient. Yes, or, or possibly slightly more. Um, so Gansu Jingang, or Jingang, I can't, can't say, is, is just the latest company that's doing this. Uh, these kind of thicknesses um, uh -huh. reductions are quite common across heterojunction. You, you can picture it, right? Everybody in, in, in the buying public around the world are saying, damn, the price of, of, of uh, solar modules has gone up. Uh, because of the price of polysilicon. So people like Gansu Jingyang have been saying, well, what can we do to steal a march on everybody else? Oh, I know, let's put, we, we, we were always making them thinner and thinner. Let's accelerate that process and get it to market before anyone else can. So there would have been a lot of activity on that since the polysilicon shortage two years ago. Yeah. Um, and I would main, expect you know, everybody else to have... The mainstream's declined from 175 room. micrometers to 155. So... Heterojunction going down to 130 micrometers, uh, even 100 micrometers next is sort of nice, but it's not 
completely game-changing. It's uh, am I right to, to look at this in terms of uh, the, Intel's famous Moore's law, where the the chip doubles in uh, in power and uh, halves in in size? Is is it well, that is that right to compare? No, not really. No, okay. It's not a computer. I don't, I don't think you are. I think you're you're, you're looking at the surface area of the chip. Mm. Make it as thin as it, thin as you can and keep it still effective. Um, so, so I think that's you know if you can use less, use less, you save money. Okay. All right. All of these stories are on rethinkresearch.biz. Uh, uh, click the energy button, and you're reading weekly analysis. If you click the forecast and data button tab next to it, you'll find the paid research that we do. Um, and most of this is is and including the podcasters and the stories is to show you that we are reliable. We do know what we're talking about, and um, and we would like to buy our research. We've just in January launched our uh, annual um, uh, primary electricity report, which is the largest project of the year. And next week, we're going to be introducing our raw materials report for lithium ion battery market. So um, go and take a look at that while you're reading these stories, all of these and more. Uh, and with that, we're going to end this week's podcast, and we'll see you again next week.